Well, good morning, everybody. Or to those of you who have been to Japan, Ohio Gozaimasu. All right. Well, I want to uh, deal with several passages. I'm going to start reading a couple of passages and then go to the main text. But uh, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, bless this message. Use me uh, in, in whatever small way in the lives of, of the students that you have here at BCM. I pray, fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start out in Exodus 4. We just want to read a few verses there. Okay. And then we're going to jump to Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to go to our text. But Exodus 4, I just wanted you to notice verses 1 through 6. And Moses answered and said, and you don't have to turn there. If you do, that's great. Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me. So Moses in chapter 3 sees the burning bush and, you know, what's going on here? He approaches, and then God gives him some things to do. In verse 4, and Moses answered and said, that believe, they will not believe me, nor hear, hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? Consider that one sentence. What is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod, a staff, a stick, a shepherd's staff. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Wouldn't you? And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it, in, take it by the tail. Now this took some courage. You have to reach down and grab the tail. And it became a rod in his hand. Turned back into a rod. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand in thy bosom. Stuck his hand in there. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And then verse 7, he put his hand in his bosom again, took it out, and leprosy is gone. So the point here is Moses is saying, I, I can't do this. I can't. You've given me a task to do, and I can't do it. And God, is, God says, all you need is what you have. You have a staff, throw it down, becomes a snake. Pick it up, it's a rod again, a staff again. You have your hand, stick it in your bosom, it's leprosy. Stick it in again, comes out, it's gone. That's all you need, what you have, to accomplish the task I have given you. What I want to concentrate on is the tasks or task God gives you, okay? Ecclesiastes 9.10. We just want to look at this quick. So if God has given you a task to do, or your professor, or your authority, or your parents, or someone has given you a task, and maybe directly from God, as Brother Bosler talked about yesterday, that just dovetails perfectly with what I'm going to say today, okay? Um, God gives you a task, then you do your best to accomplish it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So after death, you're in heaven, or eventually the new Jerusalem, you know, or maybe now, depending on how far Jesus, I'm not going to get into the old doctrine. Ask Dr. Paul. He'll, he'll work you through it. Anyway, um, when you die, you're done serving God on earth. Whatever you were supposed to do for God on earth, you can't do it anymore. That's the point I'm making here. So God is giving each of us many different tasks, sometimes one big task, sometimes one small task, sometimes various small tasks, and so forth. You've got to do what God gives you, however small you may think it is. Now, our text is from Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, I'm going to read verses 14 through 30. 
Okay. The ter- parable of the talents. This word talent, uh, Brother Swanson did an excellent job describing it last week, so I'm not going to describe it. You already know what it is, but you have to remember talent in this passage is talking about a task God gi- that the, the king gives to these servants. God gives three, ser- or the king, <laughs> Jesus actually, gives tasks to three different servants, then he goes away, and they're supposed to accomplish those tasks. We're not talking, you know, we, you can confuse, confuse the word talent with uh, playing the piano, you know, writes well, uh, sings beautifully, that kind of thing. But that's not what it means in this passage. In this passage, the talents given are, ta- are a task. So, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. So Jesus is not going to give you something you can't do. According to your, the ability you already have, the gifting from God, if you will, the DNA that, that makes you able to do a certain task. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he had that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents. Look, I got ten, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. And behold, I have gained beside them five, five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I remember my father preaching on this. What a, what a moving verse right there. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that when you get to heaven? Okay. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, why would you only give me two? No. Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two more other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Same thing. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. There thou hast the design. You got it back, just what you gave me. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest, knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have had received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable student, Servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we're not going to, this is a parable, we're not going to get into all the details and try and interpret all the details. Um, Does this mean the guy wasn't saved? Well, we're not going to go there. We're just going to discuss tasks. God gives tasks. Jesus gives you a task, many tasks through your life. Sometimes it's a big task, you know, pastoring a church, uh, starting a church. So it may even be someone in here that is the focus of the beginning of a great revival. Maybe one of you young evangelists will preach somewhere and a thousand will be saved. Big task. Maybe it's just a little one. I remember when I was probably six years old. We lived in Wheaton, Illinois. Dad was 
uh, an evangelist at the time, and he also ran the Sword of the Lord book room and uh, tried to start a church in Chicago once. Didn't go well. I remember helping set up the chairs when I was a little boy. So I'm about six years old, and Mommy gives me a task. Mommy says, walk down to the corner store, kind of like what you have as a convenient mark, convenience uh, store now. Corner store had food and so forth in it and candy. I'm not going there for the candy. Mommy says, go and here's the money and buy a gallon of milk. Now in those days, a gallon of milk was in a glass bottle. Big glass bottle. Now if you, in, the, in, our, in our dining hall, we have that one cabinet and it's got gallons of milk in there in plastic, right? This was glass. So, wow, I got a big task. To me, it was huge. Absolutely huge. First time ever to run an errand outside of the house. So I walk down the whole long, long block to the corner store. And I go in and I find the milk. And I pick up a gallon of milk and, oh, that is heavy for a six-year-old. So I take it up to the counter and, mm, my mommy wants a gallon of milk and here's the money. And they give me back the change. I put it in my little pocket and I pick up the gallon of milk and I start to go home with it. And I'm walking home, and oh, it's so heavy. <laughs> you see what's coming, don't you? I get halfway home, and my little hand slips, and the gallon of milk in the glass jar falls and breaks, and all the milk spreads out, and there's glass all over. And my little six-year-old pea brain has no idea what to do now. So I start crying, and I go home. And the idea in a six-year-old's mind is, I'm dead. <laughs> go ahead and bury me. This is the end of my life. I get home, and Mommy, I dropped the milk, and it broke. And I had such a sweet mother, and she just enfolded me in her arms, and I did not get spanked. My life was not over. She went down the block and cleaned it up, you know, got all the glass so someone didn't step on it, and... Nowadays, you'd say you step on it and sue you, but they, no, they didn't sue back in those days. So what tasks has God given you to do? I first became aware of this phrase, what is that in thine hand from Moses, you know, the life of Moses. In college, another student, we, we had an evangelistic team and we'd take turns preaching, and another student, Buddy, my friend Buddy, preached that day, and he preached on this and I don't remember a thing about the sermon, but that scripture stuck in my head. But he did that one thing he was supposed to do that day, and he influenced my life. He changed my life by helping me remember that one phrase. Now, you don't know what's going on in God's mind. Whatever God gives you to do, you do not know what God is trying to accomplish. So let's look uh, at this, at this uh, passage and remember... Whatever task, it's not about talent primarily, it's about tasks. Whatever task God gives you, large or small, you do your best to accomplish that. Okay, great students, we got a test, a quiz on Friday. <laughs> That's a task that your professor has given you. <laughs> and you got some homework sentences, right? A task given to you by the professor, and I expect it to be done. And God expects you, when he gives you a task, he expects you to do that. He trusts you with that task. However small it may seem to you, he trusts you with that task. First of all, consider 
the five-talent Christian. Are you a five-talent Christian? Is your task something that looks pretty big? Well, verses 14 through 16, okay? Guy gets two talent, uh, five talents for the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling in a far country. Okay, he gets five talents in verse 15 and verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. Okay, so in verse 16, um, it's about financial ability. It says in verse 15, eat to everyone according to his several ability. That's the Greek word for uh, idios, for, for his own. So God doesn't give you something to do that you don't have the ability to do. He gifts you in that area, right? So God, uh, the king had knew that this one five-talent guy had five-talent finan five financial ability. I can trust this guy with five talents because he's got ability in that area. Okay? So um, it's not about specifically music or speech or brains or whatever, but, but that concept is here in the idea that God gave the five talents or the king gave the five talents to the guy that could do it according to his ability, his own personal ability. And so the focus in theological terms is stewardship. If God trusts you with a task, remember those who have taken dispensational theology already, remember dispensation, a dispensation is, a, how many have taken dispensational theology already? So a dispensation is a stewardship. God gives to mankind dispensation stewardships that they have to accomplish. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the stewardship, the dispensation of innocence, and they have to accomplish that simply by obeying and not eating the wrong fruit. Okay? So, now there's some tasks, some stewardships for all Christians. All of you have the, yourself to give to God. That's a kind of a stewardship. You have your own self, your own body, to offer up to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy end, which is your reasonable service. God's not going to give you something to do that is unreasonable, and just offering yourself up to God is reasonable because you already are owned by God. What? Know ye not that you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify your God with your, in your body and your spirit, which are his. You already belong to God, and God says, okay, I give you the right to give yourself to me. That's reasonable. Okay. So, the focus of this parable is a task you are given, but all of us have these tasks, giving ourselves to God, the task of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel, all of us have been entrusted with the gospel. So the task of all of us is to witness for Christ. Verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 9. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. A woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, will oh, a dispensation, a stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me. And all of us have that same stewardship. We all know the gospel. We all have the stewardship of giving it to others. Telling one person about the gospel could change the world. You hear pastor talk about that. You know, we can change the world. That's not hyperbole. You win the right person to Christ, 
you might be winning D.L. Moody to Christ. And D.L. Moody literally changed the world. It might be a Jonathan Goforth that you lead to Christ. And Jonathan Goforth changed the world. Okay? It, it might be a John Soong to lead to Christ. Has anyone ever heard of John Soong? He changed China. He was a Chinese man, got saved, a, a fervent evangelist, and, uh, and led thousands to Christ. He changed the world. We have the indwelling spirit. If any man hath not the spirit of his, the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You don't have the spirit, you're not. So if everyone has, the, everyone here, if you believed in Christ, you'd have the Holy Spirit. To help the helper, the comforter, the helper, both of, both of those meanings in the original language. Uh, okay. We all have the word of God. These are all stewardships that all of us have. But there's something that you have that God is going to give you, to, God gives you to do now, or God is going to give you in the future. And the question is, what is in your hand? What task is God giving you to do that you already are equipped for? Small or large? Now, this guy, he got the five-talent job. Wow, okay. What is in your hand? Now, might be some young ladies saying here, oh, that's, you know, that's the guys. You know, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just a girl. What can I do? It's the guys that get the five talents. Amy Carmichael changed the world. Single lady, right? I don't believe Amy ever got married, did she? I don't, I don't think she did. Went out as a single missionary. Was not wildly successful as in thousands saved, but her writings have influenced perhaps millions. She changed the world. Why? God gave her that ability to write. According to each ability, remember in the parable, each according to his own ability, God gave Amy that ability to write. And that's what she did. She used the ability God had given her to accomplish the task God had given her to be an encouragement to people to walk with Jesus. Susanna Wesley. Can anyone tell me how many kids Susanna Wesley had? Okay. 19. Whoa. 19 kids. Can you just imagine the household of Susanna Wesley? Incredible. And yet, if you read the book by John Rice, The Home, Courtship, Marriage, and Children, he, in that book, and I, I, should, I should have brought it so I could read some of it to you, Susanna Wesley was extremely organized, knew exactly what each child was supposed to do at what time. A very organized household. As a mother, she just had it figured out. She used the abilities God gave her to raise those 19 children, and two of them were John and Charles Wesley, who changed the world. The mother of John R. Rice died when he was a little boy. Just, I think he was eight years old. And oh, he missed that mother. He tells in one of his books about, well, I got away from God. I backslid. Yeah, John R. Rice backslid. He, when he was a teenager, he backslid, got away from God, and then he came to the realization, I'm away from God. I've got to get back right with God. His mother, though, she died when he was eight, had a huge influence on him. When he grew up and was called to preach, 
One day he was looking through some old letters and he found a letter in the old letters in his home that his mother had written to one of her sisters. And it said, my preacher boy. He said, aunt so-and-so, who's she talking about? He said, you. She never said to her boy, God wants you to be a preacher, but she prayed until she died. One mother died when her boy was a little boy, changed the world simply by prayer. What is in your hand? What task has God given you to do? What, who are you supposed to influence for Jesus Christ? Who are you supposed to disciple? You might be a five-talent person, but you might be just a two-talent person. A two-talent person. Your task is smaller. Look at verse 17, okay? Once again, verse 17. Uh, whoops, back to, all right, back to Matthew 25, verse 17. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. So he only had two. He didn't have as much financial ability, but he did the right thing, and he, and he invested the two talents, and he got two more. So when the king came back, he was able to see, say to the king, I got your two talents, and here's two talents more. I accomplished what you gave me to do. Okay. Um, Never, ever compare yourself. There's a tendency in young people and old people to compare ourselves. Oh, I wish I could do what he's doing. Wow, I wish I could sing like she does. Oh, man, I wish I could play my violin like they do. Oh, man, I can play the piano, but I can barely get the hymns done. You know, and man, it's, man, alive. Um, she gets up there and she plays and you can tell I don't play the piano, <laughs> okay? I wish I could do that. Maybe you're not a five-talent Christian. Maybe you're just a two-talent Christian. But don't compare yourselves. Once again, 2 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse 12. Second Corinthians 7, 12. For there be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So God's not looking at what you wish you had. God is looking at the abilities he gave you, and he will give you a task according to your own abilities. So my father was not a great preacher. Okay? He was very methodical. He loved outlines. He put together an outline. You know, it's, I got my outline ability from get, dad, I guess. You know, I loved his outlines. He, had a, he did a whole outline of the entire uh, life of Christ. And, and I have a bound. He actually was, he was proud of that. And he went and got it bound. And he gave me the bound copy one day. I've got the bound copy of my father's notes on the life of Christ. But he was not a great theologian. He was not a great teacher. He was not a great preacher. He just did what God gave him to do. So my mother and father were committed to be missionaries to Tibet when I was, when I was born, actually before I was born. And they went and to the China Inland Mission, founded by Hudson Taylor, went to the China Inland Mission uh, boot camp in training sessions in, I think it was Philadelphia in those days. And oh, they had a terrible time. This little old bitty old maid 
ex-missionary would come around and check every night if see if the baby, my oldest sister was, Gene, see, is the baby crying? You've got to put that baby to bed. What does she know about raising kids? She's an old maid. You know, and oh, they were frustrated. And finally, the, the mission board said, you can't go to Tibet. Mrs. Himes' health is not good enough. Oh, the rest of her life, my mother wanted to prove that her health was good enough to do anything she could do. And she was, she was that way. And tell her something, you couldn't do something, she'd try to do it. And, but, we, but they never did go to Tibet. They couldn't go to Tibet, and which is a good thing. If I'd been born in Tibet, I wouldn't be standing here because everyone who went to Tibet as missionaries died. <laughs> That's just the way it was. Sickness or, or persecution, being killed by the Tibetans or whatever. In those days, my grandfather, I've heard him say that there were more graves of missionaries on the border of Tibet than there were Christians in the entire country. So my parents stayed in America. Dad went out to Kansas and started planting churches for the Southern Baptists. He planted two churches. Okay, one in the town of Treese and uh, one in a larger town. I think it was the town of Treese. He planted a church, and that town doesn't even exist anymore. Nobody lives there anymore. So, wow, that wasn't a permanent church plant, was it? But he planted, <laughs> he planted a church in another city, uh, a larger city, and it escapes my mind at the moment, but a larger city, and that church is still there. Fifty years later, they had my father come back as the founding pastor. Okay, so he went to plant churches, and I said a while ago he tried to plant a church in Chicago when we lived in Wheaton, and that didn't work, you know. He pastored churches his entire life. One church, he got up to about 200 people. They were having some marvelous times. It was, there was an, a, a, an American naval air base nearby, Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis Naval Air Station. This was Murphy, uh, Mem Millington, Tennessee, and we had guys coming from that place and getting saved all the time, and uh, some of them becoming preachers. It was great, and then after just... Three and a half years, they kicked him out. Four, four, five, yeah, three and a half years, they, they fired him. Not for any, there was no immorality, no financial impropriety, no doctrinal errors. One of the men that was involved in getting rid of my father said to my older brother, said, uh, your dad, we don't have anything against your dad. We just think it's time for him to move on. And that was devastating to him. He went on and pastored other churches, never larger than 100. But he did what God gave him to do, okay? And down through the years, some of the men that he led to Christ became preachers. Went out to Colorado, went, came to Racine, Wisconsin, where I went to high school, five years on Racine. Never stayed in one place more than five years. This is my sixth year in BCM. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I made it into my sixth year. But out in Colorado, after he left um, Racine, without giving me their address where they moved to him, I eventually figured it out. In Colorado, after we came back to America this final time, we were visiting my sister down in Chattanooga, and she gave me a little New Testament. Dad, or, Dad had died several years before. I flew back to preach his funeral. Gave me a little, new, a little tiny New Testament, a little green new plastic cover New Testament. And I had thought that, boy, after Dad had that sorrow in Millington, he was just done. It just pretty much ruined him as a preacher. But in this little New Testament in the back of it, it had hash marks, one, two, three, four, five, for 87 people led to Jesus Christ. He did what God gave him to do. And I don't remember my dad ever saying, wow, I wish I pastored a bigger church or 
man, I wish I was a better preacher. He just, he was very methodical. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. That's God's task for each one of us. Remember that verse, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So Dr. Paul and I sometimes hear about something going on around here and, and, and we look at each other and when we say, that's above our pay grade. <laughs> that's none of our business. We're here to teach and we love it. And we love teaching it and we love you guys. We just love being here and love teaching. Okay, We're not administration. Don't ask me to make any decisions that belong to Brother Zempel because I'll send you to him. I'm not going to make, I, I have no right to. It's not my place. I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I, I'm supposed to be. If someone else has got more talents than me, praise God, I'll watch them go. Okay. But what if you're not really, don't really have a lot of ability? If you ask John R. Rice, how could you write over 200 books and you've written a whole song book, you know, about 30 or 40 songs, all those songs? Man, how could you do all? You've preached all over America. You've preached in India. You've preached in Japan. You've preached in other countries and, and you've preached all over and you mentored guys like Billy Graham and, you know, not that Billy Graham is our great example, but he mentored other, many other preachers. He mentored, mentored Rick Flanders. Mentored all these young preachers. If you wrote a letter to John Rice, he would write one back, except for one guy. Um, I guess I should tell that story since I mentioned it. He would, but he wrote back. If you go to the John Rice papers in in Fort Worth, Texas, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, there are probably over nine thousand letters there. If you wrote him, he wrote you back, except for one missionary to Japan, not me. <laughs> He'd write me. This missionary to Japan was a troublemaker, really. I mean, just he was. As soon as we got to Japan, he was writing letters to me. He was a five-point Calvinist, and telling, and he was also telling me what was wrong with my grandfather's tract in Japanese, and what that didn't matter to me. So, uh, one day, this missionary was at a supporting church in Indiana, and the pastor told me this many years later. He said, "I'll just tell you his first name, Tim. You know, Tim was our church, and." And he got a letter from John R. Rice. So he opened it in my presence and it said, Dear Tim, I have told my young ladies, my secretaries, not to answer, not to open any letters from you. However, we have a new girl and she opened a letter from you. You are still a nut. Sincerely, John R. Rice. <laughs> what was Tim's problem? He was trying to do things God didn't make him to do. He was trying to be a theological leader when God made him to be a missionary to Japan, not a fundamentalist leader. Okay? If you were to ask John Rice, what abilities do you have? He could say, well, I'm a great musician. No, he played the piano with two fingers. He wrote all of those songs. He wrote so little time with two fingers on the piano. And then his son-in-law arranged it, a brilliant musician, arranged it for him. Well, you're a great writer, right? No. A lot of his books, his, all of his sermon books, they just took down the sermon as it was and then published it. So you're a great writer, right? No, no, no. What is your talent, Dr. Rice? I know how to work hard. If you ask several times in his books, he mentions this, if you ask me, what is your ability? I, my ability is to work hard. 
Any person here can do that, right? You take whatever God gave. And he did have some talents, obviously. He, did, he was a good writer, okay? But he didn't think of it that way. He thought, I'm going to just take whatever I've got. And, and as Ecclesiastes said, whatsoever they find it to do, <coughs> whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That describes John R. Rice, only add the Holy Spirit. And that's how he accomplished great things for God. Well, finally, maybe you figure, I just got the one talent. Okay, in verses 24 through 30, once again, Matthew 25, I just got, I'm just, I can't do anything. Okay, 24 through 30, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Is that what you think of God? Is that what you think of Jesus Christ? Then you're wrong. He's not that kind of, he doesn't reap where he hadn't sown. He doesn't gather where he has not strawed. This guy had the wrong impression of the king. And I was afraid. Never be afraid of Jesus. He's right there with us. Hath he not said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? And I found out recently, the study in that passage is referring to a verse in Deuteronomy. Okay? So it, it's an, it, God himself said, I will never leave you. Why? Because he's there to help you in the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, the parakletos in Greek, he's there to help you. He's the helper. He's the comforter. When you blow it, he comforts you. When you don't know what to do, he helps you. That's the Holy Spirit. This guy had it all wrong. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful, lazy servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanger, and then in my coming... I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give him unto him which hath ten talents. You didn't do the task I gave you, so I take away your abilities. If there is someone here God has called to a certain task and you don't do it, I've seen it before. God takes away the ability you would have used to serve God. There are preachers who quit the ministry to sell insurance. Eventually, they don't do well at even that. They may make a lot of money at first because God's still hoping they come back to the ministry. God has gifted them to persuade people. So they sell insurance if they quit the ministry. And you can persuade people to buy insurance and make a lot of money. But that wasn't God's plan. So are you a one-talent Christian? This man, was, was he offended? I don't know. Hey, he got ten, I only got one. I'm as good at finances as he is. Whatever it was, he was all into himself. Man, I'm afraid if I, yeah, man, I don't want to do this, you know. I'm afraid. He's, you know, he's going to, the Lord's going to come back, the king's going to come back, and I'm in big trouble no matter what I do. But a one-talent Christian can change the world. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You don't know the plan of God. So it's arrogant of you to say, this is what I want to do. I think God wants me to do that, but I don't know if I could do it. That's arrogant. Or if you say, well, I only have one little small talent, so I can't serve God. I'll just go off and do something else. That's arrogant. You don't know what God is doing. God may have some massive task for you that to you seems like a tiny little task. Last week... Um, um, I, was, I was given a book to read, a little book to read, and uh, they want me uh, 
to in, in you know, one of the uh, academy classes, the, the little guys, I'm going to talk about Bible translation and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to impersonate Carl Gutzloff, a Bible translator, and Nathan Brown, a Bible translator to Japan. I'm going to do that. And so she gave me, the teacher gave me uh, a little book to read. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a blast next Friday, a week from Friday. And the little book was about a little girl named Mary Jones. Ooh, that's an exciting name, you know, like Jonathan Goforth. No, Mary Jones, I mean, I mean, what is there to that? Just a little girl, eight years old, saved in 1793 at age eight as a Methodist. By the way, that means Susanna Wesley, she had something to do with this girl. At 15, so she, she wanted a Bible. The task God gave her, a desire in her heart to have her own Bible. That's all. God didn't say, go marry a great preacher. God didn't say, become a missionary anywhere. She, she lived in Wales. This was in Wales. She lived in Wales her entire life. And her accomplishment, her major accomplishment, was that she wanted a Bible. Pretty small stuff, right? So for eight years, this was, Wales was very poor at the time. Her parents were weavers, and they had no money to give her to buy a Bible. And there were no Bibles anywhere nearby for sale anyway. Sometimes Bibles would come in from London, you know, uh, the, from printing somewhere, and they'd be sold, and they, you know, for lots of money. And, and the typical Welsh Christian had no money for that kind of thing. They were poor. It was a very poor nation at the time. Well, Mary saved her money and saved her money for eight years. Finally, when she was 15, she said, Mother and Father, I have enough money to buy a Bible. She'd do this little task and that little task. And sometimes she'd go uh, to, there was one house in the whole area that had a Bible, had an actual Bible. And she'd go over there, and they gave her permission to study from there, one Bible for Sunday school. Oh, she wanted her own Bible so badly. This is the desire that God put in her heart. At age 15, she had enough money. And so she began to walk towards the town of, of uh, let me see, what was the town's name? Man, I, don't, I didn't write the town's name here. Bala, I think. And the preacher there was Thomas Charles, and he had gotten some Bibles, some Welsh Bibles. And so she began to walk. She had to walk 25 miles one way. And she walked a little ways, and then she realized, I only have one pair of shoes. If I wear these shoes the whole 25 miles, I'll wear them out. I can't do that. She took her shoes off, carried her shoes for 25 miles. Finally got to the house of Thomas Charles and said, I've come to buy a Bible. He invited her in. They sat down. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you, but the Bibles that we had in to sell, they're all sold. And Mary began to weep with all her heart. We saw how her heart was broken. She just wanted a Bible. That's the desire God put in her heart. And so he said, wait, I think I have one somewhere. And he went and looked and found one in the back of a cabinet and brought it out and said, here you go. And she paid her money and joyfully walked barefoot 25 miles the next day back to her home. Thomas Charles was so moved by that event in 1790, 1804, or 18, wait a minute, 1802, I believe it was, that he went to London and there was something called the, the, um, by the Bible 
what was it called, the Religious Tract Society. And he told the story of Mary Jones to the Religious Tract Society. And they said, we've got to do something about this. We've got to start a Bible society. And with that, something called the British and Foreign Bible Society was started. They said, we need to get Bibles all over Britain. Wait a minute, not just Britain, the world. We need to get Bibles to everyone in the world so that no little girl anywhere in the world will have to walk 25 miles for a Bible. The British and Foreign Bible Society was began. And later on, there was some problems in the history with docetism, the belief that Jesus isn't God, and so forth. And the Trinitarian Bible Society was started in the 19th century also. And, and uh, Brother uh, Bill Patterson, who's coming next week, is the American representative for that. So not only did little Marion Jones and her desire for a Bible inspire the beginning of the British and Foreign Bible Society, which at the time of the book that I read had over 500 Bible translations around the world, then the Trinitarian Bible Society was started as a reaction towards some problems in the British and Foreign Bible Society. And now there are Bible societies all over the world. Anywhere that there are enough Christians, there's a Bible. There's a Jap Japan Bible Society. Anywhere there's enough Christians, there's a Bible society. One little girl had one task from God. She wanted a Bible. God put that in her heart. I want a Bible. And through her story, the world was changed. So when Pastor Van Gelder says, you can change the world, he means it. You may think, I've only got this little tiny task. I don't have the abilities of that person or the other person. I've just got this one little thing. I, I can work on it. You don't know what God's doing. God may have that little task for you that you may die without ever knowing, but it will change the world. Let's pray.